Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. installment of the Run to Daylight Variety Show. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. You can find me on Twitter at Todd from PA. That's Todd with one D. And of course, my first guest most weeks, um, unless work calls and drags him away as it did last week, is Sal Lido. And... I am doing great, Todd. You know, again, I love my intro, but I don't think I've ever said it to you. I love the intro to your show, and I love the old-school NFL films, sounds that you have there, and you don't really get that too much anymore because now on NFL Network, you don't really get to see those old shows. It used to be you catch a few of those every once in a while on ESPN or one of the off-channels, and uh, that's just – I love that old sound. Oh, when I was a kid, and I my I, I turned fifty five yesterday, so I'm a lot older oh, than most of you, most of you young punks. I mean, uh, young fellows, and um, you know, I when I was a kid in the seventies, there'd be this show once a week, and it was a highlight show, and you got your you know your local team's game and one other game every week. Uh, Monday Night Football, you know, I was too young for that. And it was literally just starting when I was a kid. When I st- first started watching football, Monday Night Football wasn't even a thing yet. I started in 69. So, um, yeah, th- that old music meant a lot to me, and I wanted to bring it forward. Um, it's Vince Lombardi's voice you hear in there going, what the hell's going on out there? And Run to Daylight kind of has like a Christian motif to it, Running to the Light. But it's also the name of a Vince Lombardi book, Run to Daylight. And, you know, him and his big sweep play, uh, you know, and all the stories that go along with it. So, yeah, I love having it. Cool. And a happy birthday to you. Today's my daughter's, my youngest daughter. Today is her birthday. So big birthday weekend. Congratulations. How old is she? Yeah. She is 13, so I have three teenagers now. Good times. Oh, yeah. I, I'm older than you, and I got a 10-year-old. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the long story on that. But uh, we, her, and I, her and I get along very well because, you know, most of my jokes are, you know, for people 15 and under. So uh, yes. she still thinks I'm funny. 
So, um, you know, I guess the thing that we got to talk about first this week is the weather. You know, Todd, before you get into the weather, you know, you skipped over Stark Sit, and I think that maybe there's a reason behind it. So, I all right, all right, Re- go ahead, read it, read it. Yep, we got a letter read from the, letter the home told, office. Yeah, get this out to Todd. It says, "Dear Mr. Todd from PA, due to you, uh, due to your making a complete mockery of Start and Sit and the sacred obligation of podcasts to help your fellow fantasy football travelers decide who to start and sit, we are suspending you for two weeks." from having the opportunity to do start and sit. We hope this helps you to learn and respect the process. Signed, The Man. Wow. We actually heard from The Man. That's right. I, I wonder, you know, what would happen if I did this to The Man? So he says we can't do start, sit. Obviously, we he's correct, though. We, we never took it very seriously. And um, all right, two week suspension, and and maybe more for for doing the box. <laughs> he may never be back. I, well, we're gonna have to see what the next letter says. Maybe I'll have to write him a letter back, and it won't be pretty. Um, all right, so back to the weather. Uh, what's the latest? You're out on the island, so I think the storm's coming up the the ocean, right? Yeah, I actually got a an email from my local uh, news source that said they're uh, on the anniversary of uh, Superstorm Standy. We are going oh, to be you're right. drenched with flash floods tomorrow, Sunday, into Monday. So I'm expecting in this general area for, for the weather to get pretty pretty heavy rain at times tomorrow. So not, not good for, uh, for passing games around the NFL. Well, a little rain doesn't bother – passing games and this is why i wanted to have chris allen on he's done a lot of research into this and uh it didn't work out because i asked him last minute um and he was barbecuing for like 35 people or something but uh what the hell are we doing here (laughs) uh yeah well yeah i i guess that question is uh more than just about (laughs) the barbecue but we'll we'll leave that alone so uh, Essentially, from what I've read, above 20 miles an hour, sustained winds can really affect the passing game, and rain that is torrential can affect the passing game. So it really kind of depends, but it puts us in a unique situation this week, Sal, uh, as it relates to daily fantasy, because there's a couple plays players that I really like. Um, especially Cam Newton down in Tampa, but they're talking about 25 to 30 mile an hour winds there. And Cam's already probably the most inconsistent um, thrower in the game. So uh, what's your strategy as we head to tomorrow? Uh, Well, listen, I, I can looking at that matchup. You'd love to have him in there, but you know, Cam can run as well. He's always got the ability to pull the ball down and get your legs going. I'm a Carson Wentz guy. I have the two of them in, in my main league, too. So, um, put Carson Wentz in against these San Francisco 49ers. Don't even worry about Cam Newton. Yeah, my only worry about Carson Wentz is it's kind of a, you know, they had a huge game last week. They played the Redskins, I think it is, next week. 
it's 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 one of those historic spots where a team could underperform and then you also have the situation of if they get up by three touchdowns do they just start handing the ball off to Legarrett Blunt and Wendell uh whiskey made Wendell's uh wood smaller or something like that um so I I you know I like Wentz but you're certainly paying full price for him and the rain just makes me feel better about not playing him. And speaking of wet, you do an article every week um, that has something to do with uh, the water. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your article? Yeah, every week I do an article and it's on falafelhouse.com. And for those of you who don't know, falafel is spelled F-L-A-F-F-L. Um, it is called sink or swim and sink or swim basically is it's not so much a start and sit so we don't have to get back into that whole issue but it's more of the players that I think maybe you could possibly stream or you know maybe they're on the end of your your bench and you're like "Ah, I'm not going to use this guy whoa this is a good matchup I might be able to use that guy and then some other guys who maybe have been performing well or or seemingly have a good matchup because somebody is out or suspended maybe they maybe they're not as good as you really think they are so these are the these are the plays that will either help your team to swim to victory or sink to the bottom of the of the ocean. So, and I have a lot of fun doing it. So we get we get involved with uh, some some statistics and we try to find those different players. Awesome. So I'm going to take you through some of your uh, choices. Um, the great thing about doing this show on Saturday is I get to kind of already bust your chops about one of your picks and praise you for another. You had Jay Ajayi as a swim and Matt Moore as a sink, and they both sank. So you got that one, one out of two, Sal. Yeah, if, I, if, you, know, if you could bet 500, you'd, you'd get paid a lot of money in Major League Baseball. So, you know, <laughs> I'll take 500. But, you know, Ajayi, it was a good matchup. I, you know, as you can see in the article, I wrote the Ravens have been uh, fifth worst against running backs over the last five weeks. They had given up 774 rushing yards over the last five weeks, 150 more than any other team in the league. And a week ago, Latavius Murray walked in and put up 118 in the touchdown. So, I mean, this looked like the perfect setting for J.J., but that, that Miami team continues to follow you. When you give up on them, they win pretty straight. And then when they should go in and beat a not a very – below average Ravens team, they get trounced. So I don't know what to make of that team on a weekly basis. Yeah, it was ugly. I mean, Brandon Williams was back for the Ravens. So um, that was the only kind of change on, you know, from that period you talked about, but boy, you were right about Matt Moore. Uh, He was awful. Yeah, and I think people thought that when he came in, he sparked the offense. And, and it, I thought he did as well. But you got to look at this, where the Ravens defense is good, is in the pass game. And, and I figured he would have a down week, and he did. He, he, he turned over the ball a ton. He passed for more touchdowns than I think any uh, quarterback on the Ravens did two Ravens players in that game. And if you grabbed him, thinking it was this great score, uh, you paid dearly already and you're going into the weekend down. And I think there's one guy out there I know who might've played him uh, who plays in the falafel house uh, league with me. His name is George Reed. So I'll have to find out if George put him in, but he is the, he is the head of the Matt Moore fan club. 
I happen to like Matt Moore. I think, you know, for a backup, he's shown some pretty good, you know, he's got a decent arm and he's played well in certain spots. And I was hoping that he would play well because Jay Cutler's just been awful. And, you know, I was hoping he'd be able to spark that offense, but he was awful. And um, I, I went to bed at halftime of that game and I certainly didn't miss anything other than the Ravens defense, just making it very difficult to do anything but min cash. I faded the whole game. Um, I, I did the 20, you know, the $3 20 max and I'm really digging out of a hole uh, at, you know, for, for whatever percentage the Ravens were on. Yeah, that's, that's tough. <laughs> they put up a number. That's for sure. I feel like a number. Oh, wait, uh, that's another segment. <clears throat> so speaking of people that you were thinking of sinking at the running back position, you're not real high on running backs uh, in London. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've picked running backs in London this year already. In fact, earlier in the season, I had picked Jerry Giant when he had the game in London. And we talked about it on, on your show because he was born in London. We looked at the narrative street when it came to that. And, Got and me to play ago, some more J.H.I. <laughs> yeah. And a week ago, it got I picked uh, Adrian Peterson coming off of a huge week in his first week in Arizona and going up against uh, the worst uh, rush defense in the league and nothing. He, he got nothing. He ended up, uh, you know, costing a lot of people a lot of games last week. So, this week, we get two guys who have been – one has been probably performing uh, better than we had hoped coming into the season, and one has been a colossal flop. That's the two running backs from the Cleveland Browns, Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell. Crowell has just been about two yards average per carry every week. It's terrible. People, people drafted him early, second round, third round. People thought this was the guy. He's a steal. He is an absolute bust. Where Duke Johnson has been really good – when he's gotten touches, but they just don't give him enough touches. I think that they really have to get away from Crowell being the lead back and understand the more dynamic guy is Duke Johnson, the guy who could do more playing anybody in, in London this week. I'm just done. I'm done thinking that it's, you know, it doesn't affect anybody. It affects you. Those games have been atrocious game after game after game. I cannot remember one good solid all around where both teams on both sides performed like NFL teams. Yeah, it, it's it's ugly. I mean, it, it, it's just been ugly. Uh, I remember the first game ever, Eli Manning running one in. Remember, it took him like 25 seconds to run in a 10-yard touchdown. And uh, that was the only touchdown of the game, if I remember. Uh, London games uh, are, are pretty odd. The one thing that, you know, I'm really excited because I took a hit in my leagues, my dynasty leagues, my MFL 10s with Stefan Diggs out the last two weeks. I'm hoping that Diggs comes back and just crushes because I I really missed him. Yeah, I don't want to say um, play him, Diggs, but if he's if he's back and he's healthy. You have to play him. He has that wide receiver one game ability every time he steps on the field, and you don't want to miss on a guy like that. He's he's kind yeah. of a different level player than these other two guys. Another uh, running back situation. You used the name Jalen Richard, but I'm imagining 
you're thinking about Washington as well. You're not on the uh, Oakland running backs in Buffalo. And being an Oakland fan, I, if they're listening, if the, if the other fans are out there listening, they're going to be mad at me. It's just, you know, Buffalo's been good. They, you know, they've been really good on both sides of defense, and then they got lit up on, on the passing game by Jameis Winston. I don't think anybody expected that coming into the game last week, but they've been really good at stopping running backs. They're fifth best at stopping running backs of the season, and they've really contained pass-catching running backs well. Now, both of these guys can do both things, but I think if – that when they're in there together, there's no Marshawn Lynch this week because he decided to assault the referee and appeal something that was asinine to even appeal. Um, I think that you probably get more carries out of Washington and more passing plays out of Rashard in this game. And then, so I just don't like that matchup for Rashard. I don't really so much like it for Washington either, but I have to play him in a couple of leagues that I'm really short on guys. I mean, this is a bye week with six teams out. So it's tough for me to tell you exactly who to – to, to avoid, but I'm just giving you an idea that don't expect big games from some of these guys. Yeah, <clears throat> no doubt. So um, I I thought that Marshawn Lynch thing was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, just, like, mean, you grab a referee, you you, you you clutch his shirt, you shake him, and then you're gonna like be like, oh, I didn't do that. Well, I, I felt like he really at first when he started doing it didn't realize it was on him. And he did try and stop, but the ref was like, he didn't care. So, moving to the wide receiver. Go ahead. Just the fact that he came off the bench in the first place, though. I mean, he wasn't on the field for the play. Oh, no, that was was the meme, you know, because, you know, he he got more yards. That's like his longest run of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wide receivers. Uh, you know, you've got Demarius Thomas and Kelvin Benjamin as swimmers. Uh, which one of those guys are you higher on? Uh, well, you know, in light of what you're saying about the weather tomorrow, we'll have, uh, what goes on in Carolina. But I think uh, Demarius Thomas is in position for a good game. The, the Chiefs have been just absolutely atrocious in the last few weeks against wide receivers, wide receivers. They have given up 13 touchdowns to wide receivers on the season, and nine of those have come over the last three weeks. And we saw Amari Cooper, who has been basically irrelevant for weeks, absolutely torched them for 210 yards and two touchdowns last week. So I like the Mary Thomas. He's coming off of a two-for-nine performance, so people are going to probably be staying away from him. I think he's a fantastic play this week. Yep. And on the sink end, you go to the other side of that game, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, Tyreek Hill. So this is a guy who is – he's up at, like, number four overall for PPL wide receivers. He's, he's up there. But he's had yep. a couple of big games. If you look at four of the six games that he's actually played this year, though, he's had 43 yards, 35 yards, 68 yards, and 34 yards without a touchdown. That's garbage. So he did have a good game last week. Uh, Denver, again, very good, very solid defense all around. I don't love Tyreek Hill this week. If, again, six teams off and, you, and you, he's one of your better wide receivers, you're probably going to play him in season long. But in DFS formats, I don't think this is a guy I'm touching. Yep. Um, the tight end that you're on this week is the ultimate dad runner, Jason Witten. And Witten burned me last week because I, I had him – I had him on my sink list, and, and he 
he, I mean, everybody in Dallas had a good game last week. They just ran rough shot last week, but uh, yeah, uh, he, he's um, he seemingly looks the reborn. You know, he had he was the number one uh, tight end after the first couple of weeks, and he had a couple of weeks off, and he's back again. So, uh, four tight ends have gone for 89 yards or or more in the six games played this year against the Redskins. So. If you get if you get a couple of receptions thrown in with that or or a touchdown, you have a really solid day out of a tight end. So I would definitely get Witten in there. And you know, a guy that you're down on in the tight end position is a guy who I feel pretty good about because I I don't know. I, I'm going to have some Zach Miller, not a lot, but you're, you you've got him as a sinker. Yeah, I mean, listen, have you seen the amount of passes they're throwing in Chicago these days? Uh, he, Trubisky threw. He attempted seven passes last week, seven. He has not completed a whole ton in the two weeks that he's been in there. So New Orleans, who traditionally has been terrible at defending tight ends, you usually look at the statistics year in and year out, and you're like, oh, I could start a tight end against New Orleans. Over the last four games, They've given up 89 total yards, total. Such a good one, second game. And then after that, all the tight ends combined 89 yards. So I just don't think it's a good spot from the volume that's going on in the offense with, with pass catchers and what New Orleans has been giving up. But he's not going to be probably owned uh, that much, Todd. So I can understand if you want to go with the contrarian play. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm really pretty big on Jordan Howard this week. I mean, they've been able to run the ball against some pretty good teams. And the Saints, the way to beat them is by running the ball on them. And then you add the fact that playing inside on the turf in a dome, um, you know, a little bit faster pace um, and and low ownership on Jordan Howard. I, I think Howard is pretty sneaky. Yeah, Howard, they they finally realized he's the best player on the team, and then they've given him, you know, the maximum amount of touches now. I know at the beginning of the year it was all this Tariq Cohen is going to, you know, unseat him and take a lot of – and, and it hasn't been that way. Cohen has managed to stay relevant by doing a lot with a very few touches in more recent weeks. I think last week he had zero carries and one catch for 70 yards that, you know, you say, oh, in a PPR he had eight, eight points. It wasn't that bad, but it was one play. So, yeah. I like Howard. I like Howard every week. So I was big on him coming into the season. So I could definitely, I definitely on board with you when it comes to Howard. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm waiting for the mauler and he is not here. So what we'll do, I think so is we'll say goodbye and I will go and run the doctor's segment a little early and hopefully we can get a hold of the mauler. Thanks. Uh, thanks again. And, uh, Really good to uh, have you on again. Thanks for having me, Todd. Everybody enjoy your games tomorrow. Oh, and one last thing, Sal. Um, yes, sir. Is this a is this a sink or a swim? That sounds like a, a swim. And that's what the segment was, folks. We Sal swam. All right, Sal. Thank you very much. All right, so we're moving on, and we're going to run the doctor while I go and see what's going on with the mauler.
Please welcome once again to the show, Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. Doc, how are you doing this week? Doing great, Doc. How are you? I'm excellent. It, it's not a huge week for injuries, but there's a couple uh, offensive lineman injuries that I think are very interesting. Trent Williams announced that he will need surgery after the season and that part of his knee, will, the ligament holding his knee, will be need to be reconstructed. It's a five, six-month recovery, it said in the article. Um, and, but he's trying to p- play through it. Can you give us both the sense of what his chances might be for time? continuing to play through it and um, how it could limit his effectiveness? Well, his uh, kneecap, the patella, is held in the groove at the knee by a ligament. It's called the medial patellofemoral ligament. Uh, and when that tears, you can get subluxation of your kneecap, where the kneecap goes to the outside of the knee, leading you to immediately collapse on the ground. And that's really kind of hard to brace. You can rehab it, do quad strengthening and hamstring stretching exercises. But, you know, if he twists wrong, if he loads it wrong, if a pass rusher, pass rusher catches him wrong, that can go out, leading him to collapse on the ground and be out pretty much for the rest of the game. So, I mean, it's kind of dicey every time he suits up now with that injury. Uh, I'm not sure how severe his subluxation is. Obviously, if it was, obviously, if it was very severe, he wouldn't be playing. So they'll try to brace it. He'll try to really pay attention and protect it, but it's a little bit dicey. Yeah, and considering he's one of the better left tackles in the league and and probably when healthy one of the top five or six, um, how much of a significant downgrade do you think it is him trying to play through it? In other words, you know, there's being able to be on the field, but there's – you know, what percentage do you think effectiveness someone would have trying to play through this injury? Well, he'll definitely have less effectiveness because he's got to really pay attention to how, you know, how he moves that knee and how he plants it and how he allows the force of the pass rusher to be on the knee. And so he's definitely got to be paying some attention to that while dealing with, a, you know, a pass rusher in his face. So it's going to make him a little bit more mechanical, limit his mobility. Um, and, again, if he loads it wrong, he could go down, allowing the sack and being out for the rest of the game. So, Yeah, and the Redskins, know, certainly, the Redskins have three other offensive linemen who are questionable with various injuries. Um, it's, and, and Kirk Cousins looks like an excellent play in daily fantasy, but if you've got three or four of your best linemen all dinged up, the, the cumulative effect on of those injuries has to has to add up, I would think. Yeah, I would imagine so. All right, moving on to the next tackle. Uh, All-Pro, perennial All-Pro, uh, Jason Peters tore his ACL and his MCL. He's a 36-year-old offensive tackle. Uh, how much does injuring the MCL with, you know, you hear different 
injuries. We talked about it a little bit the other uh, week about the cartilage with the ACL, but how does the MCL affect the ACL recovery, if at all? And when you get older, like Peter's at 36 years of age, how much harder is it to come back from a serious knee injury like this? Well, um, the medial collateral ligament heals well without formal treatment. You just need to brace it to prevent re-injury. So they will delay, usually, the ACL reconstruction until the MCL is healed, if it's four to six weeks, depending on how torn it is. Now, optimally, if you tore your ACL and elected for surgery, you want to wait about a month anyway. And actually, if you wait a month at the start, you save two months of rehab at the end. So you don't delay it a month. You actually save a month. So it's not really hurting him to wait for that. And, and, uh, and is the reason for that that the swelling goes down? The swelling goes down. You can regain your motion. So you don't start with a stiff knee and then undergo surgery and then have a knee that's stiff from the injury plus stiff from the surgery. You can regain your motion. Once you've regained your motion, you've had some time to work on your quadriceps strengthening to get that firing again. And now you have the surgery on a knee already with good motion. So you only deal with one hit at a time. It's kind of like a concussion. The reason they pull you after the concussion is you don't want to get a second hit immediately, which can lead to dramatically increased swelling in the brain and possibly a lethal consequences. Same thing with everything else in the body. You don't want two hits right in a row on it. It won't deal well with the second hit. So you want to get through the first hit first, let the swelling go down, let the inflammation subside somewhat, regain your motion, work on your quads, and then have the ACL reconstruction. That's very interesting. Now, because I hear people having their ACL surgery the same week that they injured the knee. Um, You keep track of this uh, somewhat. What percentage of players go under the knife right away versus, you know, waiting the month that you're recommending? In the NFL, in the real world, uh, pretty much everyone waits. In the NFL, there are other reasons to do things. I like to just sort of leave it at that, uh, but they're not always medical, and that's why things are done. I got you. But there are, you do hear about it, right? There are people who do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they do. A lot of that happens to a lot of athletes. A lot of athletes have more problems. Um, it's, it's not done for medical reasons. Interesting. Um, Greg Olson is um, had the foot injury, and he said he might be starting to get back to practice next week. I know when we originally had this injury, you talked about the uh, possible difficulty of coming back too quickly from this injury. Uh, what can you tell us about Greg Olson? Well, he had his surgery on February 19th. I'm sorry, September 19th. So we're at one month and nine days, you know, six weeks. Um, yeah, you know, next week will be acute, six and a half weeks. That's pretty quick. Okay. Yeah, you know, there's two types of joint fractures. There's the what we call an acute fracture where you're fine and then you break it. Like if somebody stepped on your foot the wrong way or something happened and you got it broken – that's a normal fracture, and that's reasonable to return, return in six to eight weeks. But 
the overwhelming majority of Jones fractures in the NFL population is not a normal fracture. It's usually a stress fracture, meaning that they pound on that foot and they're big and they're strong and they're fast. And the forces that they put when they cut on those feet are severe. And what happens is you break down the bone quicker than your body can heal it and it gets weaker and it gets weaker. And if you take a paper clip and you just start bending it back and forth and back and forth, it's going to break. And that's what happens to the bone. And because it's not an acute fracture, because it took a long time to get fractured, it also takes a long time to heal. And if it's a stress fracture, which is probable, obviously, I have no way to know that, but it's probable, then you really want about three months to be okay. Uh, but it still has a high risk of refracture. And most foot surgeons are happiest at four to five months and really to be confident five to six months. Now, some people do what they call an accelerated rehab, and they say, well, the average return to play is, in they'll quote, 8.7 weeks with a recommended range from 8 to 10 weeks. And they'll say, well, there's only a one out of eight refracture rate, uh, a 20% reoperation rate for not healing. We know that in the NFL, when they come back early, so many of them, Des Bryant, Julian Edelman, uh, I think Devontae Parker, I mean, so many of these guys, the vast majority need that second surgery. And until they get it, and until they really rested in the offseason, they're not playing well. Think of Des Bryant two years ago. They come back, and he may come back, but he's not going to play, you know, at 100% or close to it. I know some people in my league are starting to pick them up. I remain somewhat skeptical. Yeah, I never dropped them in my uh, 1.5 uh, per reception big money league just because, you know, you hope against hope, but uh, it doesn't sound too good. Doc, as always, great to have you on. Thank you so much for the insights, and I'll look you want forward to talk about You want to talk about Carson Palmer for a sec? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, let's talk about Carson Palmer. Um he broke his arm. He was saying right. earlier it, this uh, week, four to six it looks weeks. Looks like the doc. Uh, the rest of what's the your doc take? segment got cut off. Sorry about Medically, that, doc. You know, it's, it's funny because uh, he reminded so he me Carson Palmer. We were lot supposed to he talk just about has him, to be able to take and this then we did. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, that whole exchange is lost. Um, the, the joys of a live show, even when you tape it. So uh, with the Mauler still AWOL, we're going to move into our numbers segment. Can you hear that, Matt? Yeah. The show just failed.
one host is allowed per show. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. I can't, uh, I can't hear myself. All right, so we're having technical troubles. Can you guys hear me talking about the technical troubles? Uh, I don't know what to do here. Um, it's not connect. And Matt, are you there? I'm there. I'm here. Not let me do anything. Well, I can't hear anything myself, so I don't know how we're going to do this. Uh, Hold on. I'm going to try and call in on the guest line. So sexy. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please hold and you will be able to listen to the show. All right, can you hear me? I can hear you. It sounds a little echoey, but I got you. Probably because I got the mic on as well as, oh boy, this sucks so bad. It just, uh, it it just ended. All right, I'm going to hang up again. Can you hear me? Are you there? Speak. Yeah, I can hear you. All right. I don't know what the hell that was, but it looks like we're back. Sorry about that, folks. That was a real shit show. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do, right? Yeah. I was listening to the docking, and all of a sudden it went dead. I thought it was the clip that went dead, and uh, I don't know. First time I've had blog talk problems in a while. So, um I was playing the numbers thing. Let's see. All right, Matt. Now you got the proper the proper uh, thing. How you doing tonight? I'm good now. Uh, as the Penn State game had started, it was looking like I was off to a, uh, a awful night, but. The comeback happened, so I'm in a good mood. Awesome. Um, All right. So, uh, yep, uh, let's get into it because we only have so much time. Uh, We're covering the Rotoviz Mailbag by Court Smith today. Uh, The Rotoviz Slack is presented with questions from the Rotoviz boards. uh, and, And then he collects different answers. Why don't you take it? And so this week the we got presented with two questions, and the first one was, how do you va- value Randall Cobb moving forward? And he presented us with a few options and basically asked, is Randall Cobb roster-worthy if you're presented with guys like Alan Hearns, Robbie Anderson, Kenny Stills? And he also presented Juju Smith-Schuster as a guy. And we kind of had a varied response. You tended to be a little bit more patient, saying that you probably would just hold on to Cobb because – 
none of the options on the waiver wire are all that exciting. Um, I actually tended to jump more along the lines of, I just don't know if there's going to be enough offense there that he's going to hold much value. And it's kind of worth noting, we, uh, we pulled up the court, pulled up the road of his screener over the first five weeks, he had 218 yards and 51.8 PPR points um, with 23 receptions over the last two weeks. So week six and or, yeah, six and seven that he's played with um, Brett Hundley the offense has slowed down a little bit, and he's got five receptions, turned that into only 43 yards and only 9.3 PPR points. So if you're looking at that from an owning, owner perspective, it's hard to look at him as increasing value much to your roster, and that's something that we kind of dove into with our responses is if you're looking at um, someone like Kenny Stills, for instance, I know – uh, Anthony Amixda, I can't say his last name today, uh, said that when you looked at it, Cobb was your your easily acquirable cheap exposure to Aaron Rodgers. And now if their offense is going to be substantially less volume than even a guy like Kenny Stills, who was seeing 25% of Matt Moore's targets and then 23.5% of them last season, that he was a potential wide receiver three. Now, uh, it, it feels a lot less exciting to say that looking at the Thursday night game now because that offense just looked putrid. But when you're talking about players on the waiver wire, I, I was a big fan of Juju Smith-Schuster off that because it looks like he may have taken over that wide receiver two role in Pittsburgh, which – it may turn out to be an inconsistent scoring opportunity, but it does seem like he's going to be on, in line for a little bit extra volume if this whole Martavis-Bryant saga ends with anything other than Bryant just emerging from the ashes, and it doesn't look like that's the the current path. No, it doesn't. So, so that's kind of where I was. So I – for me, I probably would have would drop Randall Cobb, and it is just because that volume, their offense got so conservative against the Saints in that game. They needed points. They only threw the ball a total of 25 times for 87 yards. That's it's just not going to get it done for potentially the third wide receiver on an offense. And if you're expecting that someone like Ty Montgomery is going to maintain value, he's probably going to take some of that passing work. So it's probably now Green Bay's just an offense with too many mouths to feed. And while it could have been feasible for all these players to have fantasy value coming into the year, without Rodgers, that's a whole lot of a mess. No, and, and I don't disagree with the basic premise. It's just that, I, you know, they have their buy. And my feeling is that, you, you know, I, uh, you know, look, if you can get stills, if if Cobb is the worst guy on your roster, you probably got a pretty good roster. And so I thought, you know, these questions sometimes come at us in a vacuum, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, Kenny Stills over Cobb, yeah, I could see it. But I could also see the value. My point was I could see the value in letting them come out of the bye and seeing what the o- offense was. 
you know, Randall Cobb was the seventh, eighth round pick in uh, most leagues this year. And yeah, he's going to take a hit probably 12th, 13th round. Uh, but still, you know, we saw the other night, there's no guarantee when Devontae Parker comes back, he, he's nothing more than the third wide receiver on a uh, pretty bad team. So I, I just felt like patience was the, the, you know, the thing, because if Hundley comes out after the break and throws the ball 35, 40 times and is pretty good, you're going to be kicking yourself that you let Randall Cobb go on waivers. And it is worth noting that against the Vikings, they did have him throw the ball a ton. It, it didn't, it, he threw the ball 33 times. It only turned into 157 yards. But if you are looking for the, a sign that volume might coming, there is some positive to take away from the fact that they did pass the ball 33 times with Hundley against in a game, I mean, against the Vikings in a game where it really was never far enough out of hand that they had to be throwing. Yeah, yeah. And, and what was the other mailbag question? And so the other one was a uh, battle of Rotoviz favorites at running back, which was Aaron Jones or Jarek McKinnon for the rest of season. And the way he presented it was he needed to he had to do make roster adjustments and he needed to trade away one of these two running backs. And when you look at them side by side, they're getting equal levels of volume. Both of them have gotten around, they got 48 and 46 touches, uh, rushing attempts. McKinnon has a pretty sizable advantage in the tar- in targets. He's got five extra targets and has turned those into 14 receptions. And then when you just look at it from PPR standpoint, um, he's outscoring Aaron Jones in weeks five through seven by uh, about 14 points. So from a purely, if you remove the names or remove any attachment you have to them, you probably would just say it's Jarek McKinnon. And we did get a mixture of results because, I mean, at, at least for me, I didn't necessarily look at it as a, in a vacuum situation. I was of the mindset that, the Saints game for the Packers was a little closer to what they're going to want them to do, which is a conservative offense that's going to lean on the running game, which is very anti-Packers-like. And I I probably would keep Aaron Jones for the rest of the season and over him, and it's just mostly because I do think that the passing offense is going to be fairly limited, and Jones probably is going to be the biggest beneficiary. Um, Well, my my, – Oh, I'm sorry, finish up. And the one other part of that that I thought was interesting was that uh, Charlie pointed out to us that you're probably going whichever one of you is netting the better return in a trade, which probably is McKinnon. You're probably returning something. And from in that same sense, that one's probably, as of right now, looks like it's more of a committee. But, as I mean, that was also without uh, Ty Montgomery on the field. Yep, and and my feeling is, and that's why I answered about the vacuum. We don't live in a vacuum. We 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 deal with people, and you know, someone could be a Vikings fan or a Packers fan and just have a huge heart on for one of those guys, you know. So whenever I get a question like, "Who should I trade?" you know, 
my comment is going to be something of the effect of, I don't know, who can you get for them? Because, you know, and that's what I meant by a vacuum. And I said in a vacuum, I'd probably try and trade McKinnon because I think that, you know, week to week, uh, the other guy might have a, a tiny bit more upside. Although I think McKinnon's role is much safer because Montgomery has been unhealthy. And when he gets healthy, he could push Jones. I know people, people are funny that, you know, one minute it was Montgomery was the best player, the best pick in the league. And then he got hurt and Jones had that big week and Jones is the best player ever. And Montgomery's never going to see the field again, but Montgomery has been hurt. So yeah, Jones has looked great, but there's no guarantee that Jones is going to continue to get the exact amount of touches that he has the last two weeks when Montgomery gets healthy. Remember when he hurt his ribs, they said it was a three-week deal. So uh, I, I just feel like, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts here. So for me, whenever I trade, it's always about me trying to find out what the other guy wants and is willing to overpay for, uh, because I'm going to look to bring back more in a trade than I give up. And McKinnon and Jones are so close that my feeling is that it really depends on what I can get a lot more than it depends on which one of those two guys it is. And that was, that was court's final take is that he, he said McKinnon has the chance to become a headache because of Latavius Murray. And in the same way, um, Jones has that same potential to become a little bit of a headache every week if Montgomery starts eating into his role. And I, I think that's where it does come down to it. It's whatever is going to net you the bigger return in this is probably just the one you trade because they're probably, I would say McKinnon might be a better asset right now for rest of season when you look at it again in a vacuum. But when you're looking at for your team, they're probably relatively equal assets because you don't know exactly what workload is going to be there. And there's enough question marks surrounding them both that kind of take away the clear cut answer of PPR point advantage goes to Jarek McKinnon over Jones and his passing game workload also favors Jones. So I, like I, I would go with his, I, I definitely would trade for just trade, whichever one is going to get me the most. And in this situation, I probably still would be moving McKinnon, even though he does seem to have a pretty ridiculous weekly ceiling. Yeah. And it also has to do with who else is on your roster. And, you know, there's so many angles to being a good trader. And so, you know, I find these questions to be interesting. Uh, You know, it's very rare that, there's one guy that I like so much more that I'm not going to trade him and I'm only going to try and trade the other guy. So um, that that's really kind of my thought on it. And uh, any, any last thoughts? Uh, try and trade for better players. That's all I got. <laughs> always try and trade for better players. Rule number one of trading is always try and bring back more than you give up. Because if it's an even deal, why are you bothering? Correct. All right. That's Matt. Matt, thank you as always. Uh, Good to have you on. Thanks for having me, Todd. All right. All right. So uh, 
bringing back a, a favorite here on Run to Daylight podcast, Joe Pano is going to come on now, and uh, I didn't bring any theme music for him. I, I, I meant to go and look up, uh, there was a farmer, I had a dog, Pano was his name, but I didn't uh, get a chance to do it. So, Joe, you don't get any theme music. <laughs> oh man, what's going on, Todd? I'm glad to be on without even without uh, theme music. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh it's a, it's kind of a crazy week. The mauler uh fell asleep and you know so he's I think not he gonna come NyQuil, on. Think he's, uh, <laughs> I, know, a I, under the water. I I mean I, I don't know. I, I don't wanna say anything, but uh and LJ, I asked him, you know, and I'm sure he'll show up, but uh, right now I don't know when. So you might get an extended run here, my friend. I mean, we both know that I. it's it's kind of hard to keep me from, uh, you know, continuing or, you know, just keep jabbering. So, you know, you're just going to have to shut me up when, uh, when they show. Yep. So, um reason I wanted to have you on was I wanted you to kind of take a, a victory lap. Oh, man. I mean, I love victory laps. They're way better than the, uh, than the uh, taking the L, right? Absolutely. So uh, the b- main reason was you kind of made your bones as a writer in the industry this year with your hot take on Carson Wentz. Why don't you kind of go over a little bit of what that take was, and then we can kind of equate it to how well it's turned out. Sure, sure. Um, you know, just just to kind of, uh, you know, just in the very beginning, I just want to say, you know, it's we're halfway through the season, so I'm definitely feeling good about it. But um, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, say everything's a lock. We never know how things are going to go. But with that being said, I am – so excited to talk about how well this has turned out. But, yeah, Carson Wentz was definitely not a popular guy to be uh, talking about hyping up in the off season. But um, I saw some things on tape from his last year's game versus uh, the Washington Redskins, which was um, Lane Johnson's first game that he was suspended, and how poorly he was, you know, Wentz was protected and, um, by, I won't even pronounce his first name, but Vitae's last name. He was like a fifth-round draft pick. You know, he was subbing in at right tackle, and he was just terrible. And, um, you know, couldn't get any any protection. And, you know, he just didn't really have a great supporting cast. And when I was watching, um, I just saw a lot that I did like in him, but I knew that he really, really uh, looked like he needed some protection. So I went back and revisited everything and looked at all this game film and, and kind of did the splits outside of uh, Lane Johnson's uh, suspension and within the suspension. And there was a huge difference just night and day versus, um, you know, when he had that protection. So anyways, I wrote an article about it. I'm not really a, a writer, but I, it kind of hyped me up enough to really like, you know, put out my, uh, my take on him. So it's turned out pretty well. Yeah, pretty damn well. He is the number one quarterback in football. And the sad thing for me is that I liked him early, saw your article, but then I saw just how bad he was last year. And I started drafting every other effing quarterback in that area besides Wentz. And what's really sad is Ertz is my number one owned player. 
Could you? Uh, and I'm winning wow. at a really good rate, despite some serious injuries to some high-owned guys. Can you imagine right. how good my best ball teams would be if I had Wentz instead of Flacco and Palmer? Oh, it'd be lights out, man. That'd be lights out. But Dude. to your credit, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people didn't, you know, just they were talking about him as like, you know, a possible third quarterback or something, you know, like it was like, you know, choosing between him and like, like you just said, like Flacco and stuff. So it's like that's how bad, you know, people thought of him. Like they just really thought he was terrible. I mean, I liked him in the beginning, like the few shares that I have of him, I have like at the start of MFLs. I thought he played really good the first four weeks. And, you know, it just, you know, you know what kills me? And I did much better at it this year than, than I did my first two years in MFLs. What kills me is when I like a guy and I let someone talk me off him. It doesn't bother me nearly as much I mean, it bothers me some if I don't like a guy and someone talks me into him, but it really kills me when I like a guy and I start right. drafting him and then I stop because of other people's opinions. Right, right. No, it's the worst. And that's that's kind of what I try to do is um, I try to stick to my guns for the most part. And um, I'm pretty stubborn about it usually, um, but I do hate that feeling when – you get talked off of a guy that you like. So that's what I don't want to live with. So I agree with you. There's nothing worse than that. Yep. Well, and that uh, enough about me. Um, let's, let's move on to your other bold call, a guy that you had in what, like 75% of your best ball leagues, uh, Chris <laughs> Thompson of the Washington Redskins. Yeah. Um, that's another one that was kind of like really kind of, um, an easy one for me, just, well, number one, I got to admit, like I have a lot of hometown bias. That's where I'm originally from. So I do have, you know, a little bit more exposure to that, those games and that, you know, game film and watching him and stuff, you know, early on in his career, he was injury prone and they had to be really delicate with him. Um, but we've never, we haven't, Washington hadn't had a stable backfield in quite some time. And, you know, fat Rob had been, uh, you know, early on in my festival leagues was kind of a, somebody I was taking a lot kind of too often, obviously when he looked like he was going to be the lead back. But um, Chris Thompson was the guy that I always wanted as my like sixth running back, fifth or sixth running back. And I felt great about it because he was, everybody was kind of looking at him as like a eight point kind of ceiling kind of a player. But I looked at him, he just, he's electric with a ball in his hands. And to me, he was kind of like that PPR floor with touchdown upside because whenever he has had opportunities, he would score at a pretty decent rate. So I I loved him as a uh, as a fifth to sixth running back, and I really don't have when you're picking like the fifteenth to eighteenth round, I really don't have any qualms about um, any ownership. Like I'll go as much as I can take him. Really, I don't really. I'm usually a lot more aggressive in that stance, and I know that most people would disagree with that, and that's. It might bite me in the ass from time to time, but usually when you're taking that late, it's not as big of a hit. So I'm pretty excited. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you that I was expecting that because you know I would have taken him in the fifth round or something. But I'm pretty excited about how it's turned out. Yeah, I mean he's the guy that I wasn't on at all, and I ended up with 11 out of 150, and a lot of it was you. 
So thank you. Um, you didn't talk me into the guy I liked, but you talked me into more of the guy I didn't. Um, and, well, you got to take a lot of running backs. You know, there's a better chance. <laughs> well, I mean, again, it, a lot of it, you know, I have a lot of Rex Burkhead and I thought, and I, a lot of Gio Bernard. And I thought that they were two other really good guys who, you know, yep, could. I, I got plenty of Burkhead too. Yeah. And I thought that Burkhead had the ability to beat out Gillisley. And, and he probably would have because Deion Lewis has not been that great, uh, you know, playing as the, the lead back when Gillisley bombed. You know, if Burkhead was healthy, he might have been able to have worked out that role. But, uh, you know, Thompson was a super solid uh, pick, and uh, you have taken it kind of to the house. Yeah, that one has been, been huge for, for me. So I'm uh, just hoping and that he won me 3K you know? on week two. I know, man. That's what I was like. Oh my gosh! And, and in DFS, I've been so bad with Chris Thompson. That's the funny thing is, like, every week that I would want to use Chris Thompson, he would, you know, or the rare week that he didn't have a big week, he, you know, I would use him. And then I was trying to like go contrarian and, and go Perrine, and he had all the touches, but he didn't do anything. I was like, ah. Oh. And then you won like three thousand dollars. So I was like, ah, oh, I feel like an idiot. So well, and what? Uh, on what I got him at 0.5% because, oh. you know, I, I thought he was a great play. He had been on a Millie Maker team last year, and I thought I'd get him at real low ownership. And every week I pick a guy like that, right? Somebody 15%, you know, uh, one of those passing down backs who if they get a couple big plays and they get you 25 points, you know, and you get them for less yep. than, you know, a, a couple percent can make a big difference. But what killed me about that one was he dropped the ball right in the middle of the field with no one around him. You know, if he had gotten that, it was, if he had just caught that ball and fell down, it was three points and I would have won 15 right. grand instead of three. Ooh. And if he ran it for another 25 yards after that, which was clearly possible, I would have won a hundred. Man. Yeah, that's that's just, the thing, you know, Chris, I mean, Chris Thompson is like a big play waiting to happen, man. He's uh he doesn't get too many touches, you know, but he when he does, he's just so efficient. It's incredible. It it really is. He is the most it, he is the most efficient running back in the league right now. Um what's your take on him for tomorrow because Kelly's back and they're playing the Cowboys, but there's a good chance that there's going to be rain. So I really, and, and his salary is 6,000 now, and he's going to have some ownership. What are your thoughts on using him tomorrow? Well, I mean, the thing is, is he has been the Redskins offense. Like he's been holding them together. I mean, he, like I said, he hasn't gotten besides the, you know, I think maybe one, two games, where he had, you know, 10 to 20 touches or something. One game he had 22 touches, but that was a rare occasion. And I think uh, Fat Rob was hurt. But um, I, I think he's going to be definitely a big part of the game plan. Um, the problem is, is uh, they're going to have to throw a lot of short passes because their offensive line is decimated right now. Trent Williams is going to need surgery. He's just kind of toughing it out. Morgan Moses sprained both, sprained both of his ankles. Um, he's questionable, probably shouldn't play, but he might. Their 
really good um, swing tackle is has been injured for the last few weeks uh, in Tucky. And uh, Brandon Sheriff is going to be out, I think, or at least questionable. Oh, he's yeah. in the center. The center, too. Yeah. Yeah, the center's out. So, I mean, really their offensive line is, is in dire is in dire circumstances right now. And I honestly, like for our Rotoviz pick of the week, I I picked Dallas defense. You know, that's tough for me to do. But, you know, the line is shifting now towards um, Dallas' favor. And I know it has some to do with the weather, but I believe it's, it's more to do with uh, the offensive line issues in Washington. Because, I mean, Kirk's going to get – He's going to get a lot of hurries, so if he can dump the ball off quickly to Chris Thompson, that might be, you know, playing his favor or in your favor if you play him in DFS. Yeah, I I definitely am going to have some Thompson this week. Um, I, I really feel like it's uh, – it, 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 they're going to have to. And, you know, I was really high on Cousins, and my, the first GPP lineup I made this week was – with Cousins and and Thompson and Reed, um, and, and I'm not going to get rid of it. It's it's a Millie Maker lineup, and I hate making Millie Maker lineups and then changing them. You know, it's for twenty bucks. What you know, you're just going to hate yourself for the rest of your life if <laughs> oh my they God, go yeah. if they go for eighty points. You know, for the three of them, and and you could have won big money, but. Uh, you know, I'd rather lose the twenty bucks. I you'd think. never but, forgive uh, me if I if I told you differently and you changed it. You'd never forgive me. <laughs> no, I I, I mean uh, it's just it, it's just you know I'm very careful to leave a little extra money to play so that if I want to make changes, I don't make too many. On you know, it's one thing if there's an injury or news or but you you hate to change lineups and. You know, I I will not track lineup changes. Uh, I just won't because if it if it happens, um, it's a problem. But hey, Joe, I gotta go. I gotta get LJ in here. And uh, hey, um, thanks for having me on. Much? It's always a blast. Have you studied much for DFS tomorrow? Um, I'm gonna be kind of uh, on the road most of the day tomorrow, so I'm I'm probably only gonna play like a couple lineups. So I have I've, I've looked at some, but I know with a lot of the right, salaries no and yeah. the Mauler was out, and I thought maybe get you back on after LJ, but I got to get to LJ. He's on a time okay. limit. It was really good having you on, Joe. Yeah, always a blast. Thanks again, Todd. Appreciate it. You got it. All right, everyone. LJ. show lj cheney you can find him on twitter at pacific scouting lj welcome back hey how's it going todd missed you guys last week i know i missed having you it's uh it's like uh it's like a you know a little sunshine that i didn't get that week <laughs> i hear you yeah and, no i was and speaking uh... of sunshine it's raining pretty hard emotionally here in the state of pennsylvania the big news, obviously, of the week is that Penn State blew the lead and Ohio State got them. What, what's your thoughts on the game? Yeah, man, that's a real bummer. I, uh, I had Penn State 
the my preseason picks for uh for the college football playoff were Bama, Penn State, Florida State. Obviously, that was before they they lost DeAndre Francois, their, their starting quarterback, and as you can see, the team as a whole is is pretty garbage. So that wouldn't have happened in anyways. But uh, and then of course I went with my uh my guys here at UW just because it, it was hard to to think of a a Big 12 team getting in, but that was a bummer. I think, uh, you know, it, it's hard to, to really get down on Penn State because of the talent levels. The the, the stars for Ohio State are, are a lot different than they are from Penn State. They're on the up and up. Obviously, they were the number two team in the nation. And, you know, that that's a game that I was, I was flipping through three games <clears throat> earlier today. That was one of them. But I was focused on that one the most, and it was uh, – you know, outside of that that run, uh, let me see what the, what the I think it was a 36 yarder. I don't have the stats in front of me for uh, Saquon Barkley. Outside of that, I mean, he had nothing. He was bottled up. You know what I mean? He he wasn't getting much in the passing game. He had the the, the kickoff return as well. But on, on the ground, I mean, Ohio State was just they were dominant. Um, they were shooting the gaps. They were they were just they were able to, to contain. Saquon and, and Penn State still almost pulled it out, but uh, that was unfortunate. It was JT Barrett played lights out. Uh, if he continues to play like that, it's going to be hard for me to keep them out of my top four. Well, they're not currently in the top four for me, but yeah, I was uh, I was surprised. I mean, Penn State's a, a team, you know, that, that their defense, when, they, when they're able to get up like that, I, I feel like they have enough playmakers to, to hold guys down, but the JT Barrett was just lights out, and there's there's nothing they can really do about it. It felt like it, they made it a little easier for him with the coverages they were running. Guys were running open, and uh, he was able to find them. But yeah, it was just he was on his game today, so that was it was it was pretty pretty nuts to to see how that went down. Yeah, it it was, and a one point loss on the road. How far do you think this drops Penn State back? Y- you know, I think. It's it's hard telling. I, I honestly think they should still be five or six. Um, you know, I think I know the stars and the rankings for the players coming into Penn State aren't there like they are for Ohio State, but I still think Penn State's a better team. You know, they controlled that game. There were some iffy calls. Yeah, I know, but I think Penn State controlled that game for the most part. They were on the road. They let it off. You know, uh, they, they lost it at the end. Um I think they they probably dropped to six. That's that's what that's what I'm thinking. Um, I think they're the best team in the Big Ten, and it's a it's a bummer. But we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think they they dropped they're down gonna to six. Have to, seven. They're going to have to hope. I think that uh, Michigan beats Ohio State. Yeah, and after that game, I was I was thinking. You know, I tweeted out that it's hard for me to not see another loss on Ohio State's record through through the season. I think that they. I think they have one in them. You know, I think they have another loss in them. I know they have Ohio – or they have Iowa, they have Michigan State and Michigan. And on paper, those teams cannot cannot really, you know, hold their job strap. But it's it's the Big Ten. Two of those are on the road. Uh, you know, they got to go to Michigan at the end of the year. So it's it's very possible they drop one. And it's uh, – it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be a fun race. It makes it makes this, this race so much more intriguing. You know, you, you're having big upsets each and every week and big losses each and every week. And the more the merrier, you know, it's going to, it's going to make the, the, uh, 
the job's difficult for the committee, for sure. Well, and Georgia, the number three team, is going to have to play Alabama in the SEC championship, correct? Yeah, I think that that's that's going to be a weird one. We're just going to we're going to have to kick back and see where everybody's at because Georgia, they're in my opinion, they're clearly a top four team in the nation. Someone's going to have to lose that game. If if Bama loses by some, you know, odd chance that uh, I I can't see them keeping Alabama out. Uh, Georgia, if they win, uh, or if they lose, you know, it's going to be it's all going to come down to the other the other three teams that are going to be racing against them outside right. of Alabama. And it's, uh, you know, I think Notre Dame can squeeze in there. And it, but, it, but let's say, you know, you got a one loss Notre Dame, one loss Georgia. They won the head to head matchup against Notre Dame. So you, it, it's only right to put Georgia over Notre Dame and, and on the national scale, you know, the SEC, I've been saying they're overrated for a long time. It's different this year. I mean, the thing is they have two teams outside of that. There's nothing, you know, there's absolutely nothing in my opinion. So of course they're going to get the the praise once again. SEC possibly going to have two teams in the college football playoffs, and it's going to irk the shit out of me. But I mean, that's very well, possible. If, I think, uh, but if if they're the one and two teams, you know, first of all, it's kind of like the national championship game is being played in the SEC final. But you know, if if Alabama wins. I, I can't see Georgia getting one of the top four spots uh, I, I, unless a bunch of other teams right in that area lose also. Um, it's, you know, I, it's just really hard to lose a game as the number two team and still stay in the top four, unless it's a, a game that's one of those nail biters right to the last second. Uh, history has shown that those teams just don't, you know, they, they, they might not fall a ton, but, you know, how do you like if Wisconsin and you know one other team is is right behind them and they win out? It you know, and Georgia now has two losses. I, I don't know how how Georgia gets in. I mean, it's it's hard. And, and the thing is, is let's say Bama and Georgia both go in the SEC championship, no losses. You know, and one of them loses. That's fresh in the committee's mind. It's it's a lot different when you get teams like Clemson that that lost two. You know two weeks ago and, and you got teams like Ohio state that lost four weeks ago, five weeks ago, whatever it was, those, those losses don't necessarily, they're not fresh in the committee's mind. So it, it allows them to take the fresh, the fresh losses, you know, from, from the, the teams that are going to lose at the end of the season and knock them down a bit. But if you got a team like Notre Dame that continues to, let's say Notre Dame wins out, you know, and they're in the top four. Georgia loses to Alabama in a tight one. They got the head-to-head matchup with Notre Dame, so it's like it, it's going to be tough. I don't think Wisconsin. I, I don't believe in Wisconsin. I think you know they they could very well drop one, or they're they're not. I don't see them winning the Big Ten championship. That's either going to be Ohio State or Penn State, depending on what happens here forward. Um, I think Penn Penn State's going to need uh, Ohio State to to drop two, which I, I don't know that that's rough, but uh, I, I just can't see. It, it's just. Their their win over Notre Dame is very significant versus what Notre Dame has been doing to teams, how they've been running over teams. And, they I mean, they held them to 55 yards rushing, 1.5 average. Outside of that, Notre Dame's been running 300, 400-plus on teams. So it's like – and they're, they're a top team, in my opinion. So it's just – it's so hard to, to try to determine what the hell is going to go on. Plus, we got so I would love to, to see Notre Dame. I mean – 
Having a really good Notre Dame team in the Final Four would really spruce up the whole thing. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. And I know they're one-dimensional, but they play good defense. Uh, I like Jonathan Bonner is a good defensive tackle. They got Miles Morgan, a great linebacker. And, uh, oh, man, I'm trying to think of his other, the other kid's name. His, uh, Drew, uh, he's, he's a hybrid. He, he plays DB. He plays outside linebacker. He's gonna, he, he can play uh, too high safety. He, he's moving all over the place. And they, they got some playmakers on defense as well. But that, that running game is just nuts. Josh Adams should be in the Heisman race. It's, uh, that, that's a good team. I think, uh, you know, I, my top four teams currently are set right now. And uh, what about your favorite running back? How did he do this week? David. Uh, oh, old Montgomery. Yeah, David Montgomery. Yeah, he was a. Uh, I mean, th- their team, uh, Iowa State. That was a. That was a great, great game. Uh, TCU definitely was overrated. It was a. I think they sort of have a shit roster, to be honest. Um, they they were, they were showing out. You know, their defense is playing lights out. But David Montgomery, he, he had a quiet day. I mean. He was effective and still effective in, in making guys miss, getting yards up contact. But they mainly did it through through a good play action, you know, efficient passing from uh, Kyle Kemp. And, you know, he was sort of bottled up in a sense. I mean, he still went for 74 yards, but it was only 3.0 average. And uh, he only had four, uh, four receptions for three yards. So he was bottled up as well, you know. And he was still uh, – that Iowa State line was getting wrecked a little bit. And – he was still able to make a few things happen, but but nothing very significant. Yeah, I I I I you know he's he's an interesting guy. Uh, looking at Wisconsin, I mean, you know, I know they were on the road, but only twenty four ten over Illinois. That's not that's not exactly a, a super uh, result. Yeah, and, and one of the things I think behind that is. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, their their star freshman running back, he he was hurt um, a little ways in the game and didn't get the the carries you would think that he would get. He was he ended up coming out of the game. I think that that plays a big role in it. He's he's extremely effective. He's I I think right now he's a, he's a top six or seven back in the entire nation, and that's translating to the next level as well. And he's a true freshman. He's actually straight out of, I want to say New Jersey or something like that. He was committed to Rutgers before he ended up going to Wisconsin and. He's just—he's a complete difference maker on that team. That—that's why I think, you know, that 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 score is like that. But still, I just—it's—it's it's hard for me to really buy into Wisconsin. You know, it's just—they uh, got—they got some tough matchups coming up, and then plus the Big Ten. I can—I don't—I don't see them winning the Big Ten. So, you know, that 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 was interesting. Only 14-point win over uh, Illinois is—that's rough. But I think a lot of it had to Taylor. Yep. Well, I know you got to get going, LJ. Always glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Yep. Take it easy, Todd. I'll talk to you next week. You got it. All right, everyone. That was LJ. You can find him at Pacific Scouting on Twitter. He, he's really an up and coming guy. You should listen to him. Uh, we're going to finish the show a little early today with uh, Dominic in his, the defenses. It's a taped segment, and hopefully we'll get the Mauler back with us next week. Please welcome once again to the show, the man without a song, Dominic Petrillo. Dom, how you doing today? I'm doing good this week. How are you feeling? 
Um, I was away most of the week and didn't get a chance to do what I promised, which was get you a theme song. So uh, uh, for now, it's kind of you stand out uh, and are special because you don't have one. Uh, that's right. I've always been told I'm special. Yep, me too, me too. Um, let's start off the defenses with one of my favorites early on that I was looking at. Um, being away all week, I'm behind, but the Philadelphia Eagles are atop your list. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely like the Eagles this week. They, you know, they're playing the 49ers, who actually looked terrible last week against Dallas, and I don't expect them to be that bad again this week, although they are coming all the way across the country. And they are. It's supposed to be a lot of rain in Philadelphia this week. Uh, it's supposed to be uh, between one and three inches on Sunday, with some gusty winds coming in in the late in the afternoon, so late in the game. You know, with B third in the back uh, starting, and the receivers they have aren't really, you know, going to be able to do a whole lot. And the Eagles, even though they're going to be missing Jordan Hicks for the rest of the year, they still have one of the best front sevens in the league. So I think they're going to be able to stop Carlos Hyde which is, you know, the big person on the 49ers right now. The 49ers can't really do much in the pass game right now, and the Eagles do seem to be getting better in the pass game as well. So I just think with the weather and everything else, they're going to be able to stifle them. And I, I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I don't think the old Eagles are going to cover the 13.5 points, but I think it's going to be closer than that. But I do think it's going to be lower scoring, you know, maybe 20-13 to 13 or 20-10, to 10, somewhere around there. I... I've seen some people uh, advocate for Beathard this week uh, because of how bad the Eagles' secondary is. But to access the Eagles' back bad secondary, you have to survive their pass rush. And last week in Dallas, San Francisco just couldn't protect against the Cowboys. Now going on the road across the country, um, I, I think it's more likely that the Eagles' defense gets to Beathard than Beathard gets to the Eagles' defense. Yeah, and ask Cam Newton how bad the Eagles' secondary is. Well, a, a, a ask uh, Chicago how bad Cam Newton is. Um, <laughs> that, you know, it really depends on what week. And, and that that's what you find with inconsistent teams in the NFL. You You, you find this Jekyll and Hyde mentality and uh, it makes for interesting DFS play because, you know, which Cam Newton are you going to see this week? Yeah, absolutely. I just think Tampa Bay's defense is pretty bad, though. So I think you may get, see a, a better Cam Newton, but you're not going to see the Cam Newton that you got against, you know, the Patriots or anything like that. I think that was just a, you know, one or two-week mirage between what you got there and what you got in Minnesota the following week. So I think he's more... He's closer to what he was against the Eagles in Chicago than he is what he was against the Patriots and the and the Vikings. All I don't think he's as bad as he has been playing the past two weeks. Yep, I know this is a defensive segment, but at least Cam's been running lately, giving him the floor that we like. On to our next defense, the Seattle Seahawks, um, another more expensive defense. Yeah, they're second right now in DraftKings, uh, but I just I have a feeling that Deshaun Watson's going to take a step back in the you know, the last half of the season. Not that he's a bad quarterback. I think he'll still be top 10, top 12 at the end of the year. But in the three weeks where he had his, you know, his great breakout where he had 13 touchdowns, you know, two of those games were against Tennessee at home and the Browns at home, and neither of them have a secondary worth anything. The one team that he that had a good defense is the Kansas City Chiefs, and even their defense 
is actually slipping a little bit right now. They're 25th against the uh, wide receivers, and all the points he got there were in garbage time at the end of the game with Seattle's you know offense not clicking the way it did last year. I mean, it's getting a little better now, but it's still not where it was last year. I think that Houston's defense is going to be pretty good as well. They're going to be able to stop Seattle's offense, and Seattle's offense is going to be able to stop Houston's offense, or excuse me, defense is going to be able to stop the offense. So I just think in that sense it's going to be a lower-scoring game again. And if they are able to hold Lamar Miller, which I think they should be able to, they're going to force Watson to beat them out of the pocket, which he hasn't shown the ability to do yet. So I think it's going to could be a game where the Legion of Boom is able to get two or three interceptions from him as a rookie going against that defense. Yeah, I, I think um, if we're going to see Watson take a step back, playing on the road in the very noisy uh, Seattle home park is, is definitely a spot where it could happen. Um, the chalk defense of the week, though, might be the Cincinnati Bengals, and they come in number three on your list. Yeah, they are the chalk defense. I know it's you know, it tough to pick a lot of defenses this week, this week, especially with people on by, so I did take pretty much the top three on the – price list, but I do like the Bengals anyway. That's the way that the Colts played last week against Jacksonville. You know, Jacksonville last week, they had the third-ranked pass defense. Cincinnati was second, but after last week, they actually swapped, so Cincinnati's now the third-ranked pass defense, but either way, they're going to be able to get in there with Geno Atkins and everything. They're going to be able to stop the run. They're going to be able to get in there and get to Brissett, which Jacksonville did last week for 10 sacks. You know, I don't think Cincinnati's going to get 10 sacks, but they have a good secondary as well. They should be able to get a couple picks of Brissett and should be able to stop the running game of Frank Gore and Marlon Mack. And the receivers haven't done much. This is a lost season. I think they should just sit luck out until next year. But Hilton and Moncrief, I don't think they're going to be able to do much. If you want to play anybody, it's going to be Doyle. But, you know, one person, especially the tight end, is not going to kill a defense, especially if it's just yards and not points. So I think the Cincinnati defenses could be the top defense this this week in all the overall scoring. Yeah, it, it's definitely possible. Um, I'm not on them as much as some people because they're so chalky. I think that the Eagles are a little more expensive, but the, I I just think it's a better matchup. Um, you know, the, the the Bengals are, you know, they, they've been pretty inconsistent. Yeah, they they have been, but their defense has still been pretty good. You know, they with since uh, Burfick's been back, they've been a lot better. Even though you know he's a scumbag, but you know that's for another show. But you know he does give that team physicality, does give them the edge that they need, and he does, does help them. And they've played a lot better since he was out for the first three games. Since he came back, they've been playing a lot better. But that being said, I don't I don't have many lineups in right now, but I don't have the Bengals in any of my lineups right now. The last defense on our list today is the New England Patriots. What do you like about the Patriots? I know a lot of people are on the Chargers offense this week. Well, just the Chargers coming all the way across the country. They're, you know, they had a big game last week where they shut out the Broncos. First time the Broncos have been shut out since 1992. You know, they played a good game, obviously. They, uh, but I just don't think it's going to last. I think they're going to come in. They're going to have an emotional letdown. I know they're playing the Patriots, which everybody wants to take down the Patriots, but I just think they're going to be so amped up after last week's game that this is going to be a little bit of a letdown for them, just like, you know, Atlanta 
you know, the week before last where they just flopped at home and then went into the Patriots and, you know, laid another egg. I think that the same could happen this way. They could just they come all the way across the country for an early game and just lay an egg, and I don't, I don't see it happening. Melvin Gordon's still a injured, little injured, so we don't know how much we're going to get out of him. Eckler's, you know, taking some snaps away from him just because of the injury and stuff. So there's a two-man backfield there. Phillip Rivers didn't really have a great game last week, even though they won 21 nothing. He had less than 200 yards passing. So the wide receivers aren't really getting a whole lot. Tyrell Williams has done nothing this year. They just traded Inman to Chicago. So, you know, they have to hope Keenan Allen does something. I think Hunter Henry could do something just because the Patriots are terrible against the tight end this year. But overall, I don't see them scoring a whole lot of points. I can see them getting to 14 or 17, but I don't see this being a giant explosion game for the you know, the Chargers again. So I see the Patriots kind of running away with this one. Yeah. I, the, the one defense that some experts seem to be on is the Jets. I actually do have the Jets in a couple of my lineups, you know, just because of how bad the Falcons looked last year. And because I think that last week with the, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, last week. Well, and last year in the Super Bowl as well, but you know, that's another story well, too. Only the last 10 minutes. Yeah, but, hey, they cost them the game. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, last week against the Patriots, and the fact that I think the Jets are going to try and run the ball a lot this week, so they're going to keep the Atlanta off uh, offense off the field, so it's going to help the Jets' defense be decent, even though they're not a great defense, as we saw last week against the Dolphins. But I think if they do run the ball out of the backfield with, with Powell and McGuire and Forte, that they can limit what – Atlanta can do on offense. Matt Ryan's been having a terrible year so far this year. And like I said, I do think the Jets are going to use their running backs more than anything else because Atlanta's bad against uh, pass-catching running backs. And with Bilal Powell and Matt Forte, you have probably two of the top five pass-catching running backs in the league right now. So why not use what the, you know, the other defense's weakness is, go against that, and it also runs the clock out. Yep. Um, last thing I'm going to mention is the fact that you mentioned Dontrell Inman being traded to the Bears. Uh, my joke of the week or the joke du jour for me on Twitter is that's just another wide receiver for Trubinsky not to throw to. It's actually a wide receiver for Trubisky not to throw to because now he actually has somebody there that's considered a wide receiver. I mean, he has Kendall Wright, but other than that, they really have nobody there that you've even heard of. So, yeah, but... You know, you never know. He may get up to, you know, 10 attempts this week. Maybe, you know, you never. maybe he'll get over, he'll get like 6 for 10 instead of 4 for 7 like he was last week. <laughs> That's interesting. Dom, another good week out of you. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. I'll be here. Have All a right. great week. That, that was Dom, everyone. All right. That was Dom. Thanks, Dom, for another great segment. Uh, real excited that uh, the show is about over. I'm a little tired tonight, so we missed our DFS segment uh, with the Mauler. It's a tough week in DFS. Keep your eye out on the weather, and we'll just have to see what, uh, what the morning brings as far as the weather. Uh, I am off a of Cousins after being on him earlier in the week. And I'd really like to play a lot of Cam Newton, but I I really just have, you know, 20 to 25 mile an hour winds. That's 
that's kind of tough. So hopefully we'll be back at full strength uh, next week. Sorry about the DFS segment. Uh, We'll lead you out as we always do with the song. 